You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 130. Welcome to The Lively Show. I'm your host, Jess Lively, and this blogcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra intention to your everyday. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace.com. To get a free 14-day trial of Squarespace, hop over to squarespace.com backslash lively and enter the code lively at checkout. At the end of this episode, we'll be speaking with Haley Feinart of habitationco.com about her experience using Squarespace. Now let's move on to today's show. Today we're speaking with friend and business owner Micah May. Micah's business, maydesigns.com, is a multi-million dollar customizable notebook company. Micah also happens to be a mother of three, including one with special needs, based out of Austin, Texas. I asked Micah to come on the show to talk about her journey to get to where she is today and what she's learned, and one of the things that comes out of our conversation is touching on the subject that I personally, in my own life and work, have been studying like crazy because of some interviews that I've recently done, and I've been learning more and more about how females specifically and how feminine and masculine energy fits into society. I think that this is a subject that's far misunderstood or not even on a lot of people's radars. And I cannot wait to learn more and share more with you here on the show as I move forward and get a greater understanding of this work. So please see this conversation as a preview of what's to come. It's by no means the finished product of this discussion. It's really just the starting point. Let's go to the show. Micah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. So let's tell everyone about how you got to where you are. Sure. I'm a graphic designer by nature, or always have been a designer, all kinds of different things like home decor. I love style. I love fashion. And so I graduated from A&M, had to write my own curriculum. There actually wasn't really a journalism department at all or any sort of design. So I Ended up kind of petitioning to write a bunch of my own classes and then graduated and had these big dreams of working at a giant ad agency in New York. So I bought a one-way ticket after I graduated. I had sold everything I owned in a garage sale and literally flew up there on a one-way ticket with $2,000 and hoped I could land a job at an ad agency. Really? Yeah. Was that scary? $2,000 at a one-way ticket? No, it, it wasn't for me. Because I think there's like a part of my brain that's missing that is... What part of your brain's missing? An aversion to risk. And so it didn't feel scary. I felt so excited. I arrived and first thing I did is went up to the Empire State Building by myself and watched the sunset. And yeah, I've just kind of been moving forward since then. That's crazy. So once you got there, what happened? Once I got there, I interviewed time and time again at different agencies and didn't end up landing an ad agency job. I ended up getting a kind of a marketing director role for a diamond company. So it was a crazy experience. I ended up like tagging jewelry. And then it was right at the beginning of the kind of the right hand ring campaign. I don't know if you remember that several years ago, diamond is forever. And then kind of this encouragement on, you know, women power and you can get this right hand ring and it means something. So kind of worked on those campaigns for a little while and then ended up landing event planning and graphic design job for a nonprofit. So it kind of was my dream job. I didn't even know what I was looking for. You know, you kind of 
have these dreams, you graduate, you go, you go to this big grand world. And um, I'm so thankful for this opportunity that I ended up having at this nonprofit because I was able to kind of use a lot of the skills I didn't even know I had that were kind of deep down and wear a lot of hats as you do in the nonprofit world. I was doing events and then ended up kind of just rolling over a lot of their design materials. I wasn't fully hired as their designer, but you know, I think in the nonprofit world, they're always understaffed and there weren't beautiful things. And I couldn't figure out how to sell tickets and do the development work for a nonprofit trying to, you know, encourage people to buy a $10,000 or $20,000 table at the Rainbow Room for a fancy gala if the logo was kind of ugly and the paper products were not beautiful. And so I just kind of revamped all of that as and it wasn't part of my job. And they said, oh my goodness, like, this is a, a huge asset. Can you please stay and be a graphic designer? Wow, I love that. It's kind of an interesting takeaway for anyone else that might be feeling like their skills aren't completely utilized. That Maybe they can go outside of their job description and start doing things that they're passionate about and see if they can contribute in ways that aren't just under the job description alone. Yeah, I think a lot of it's just listening and paying attention to wherever you are, whether it's life or your business. There was an agency that they had actually hired because they're part of this nonprofit is called Kids with a Promise. And their logo actually had the World Trade Center in it. And it was just right, you know, it was right after 9-11. And they had hired another agency, an outside graphic design firm to redo their logo. And I had been listening to the executive director. He was frustrated and it wasn't going well. And they'd spent thousands of dollars. And internally, I just, I felt so stressed with them spending money when I had the logo in my mind, I could see it. And so I literally just stayed one night after work, did the logo that was in my brain, printed it out and put it on the executive director's desk. Then it was like, who did this logo? Where did this come from? And it kind of came out that it was the like 22-year-old designer downstairs that was kind of on independent contractor for running the events, you know, that I wasn't even hired as as the designer for the organization. And so they, he came downstairs and was like, this is this is perfect. This is exactly what we need. Thank you so much. And they let go of the other designers and went with mine. So it was really a fun opportunity. So I think I think you just got to listen and be in tune with what the needs are. And if you have something to give back, you should just do it. Stay up. Do whatever you can to put back in the world what it needs. So where did you go from there now that you're a graphic designer at a nonprofit? So from there, I ended up falling in love. I had met my husband in college. He was working in DC at the time and we'd kind of connected. We needed a kind of a safe date for a lot of events that we were doing. I was an event planner. So I had lots of things I needed a safe date for. And so he'd ride the train up to spend some time with me in New York. And I would do the same thing in DC. And one day he just called and proposed over the phone. He basically said, Hey, I just want you to know that I think I'm in love with you. And I want you to Think about moving to be with me in DC in a couple months. What? That's crazy. I know. So from there, I literally like gave it some thought. We kind of dated long distance. And then I moved all of my bags and everything and kind of walked away from my crazy sex in the city, wonderful life that I loved and have kind of created for myself in New York. It was so worth it. Moved to DC and you proposed and for real with a ring and the, and the whole thing. And then from there, we moved to Texas. We were both from Texas. So we kind of came back. And I continued contract graphic design work. So from there, he decided to go to seminary. He wanted to be a marriage and family counselor. 
kind of with a biblical background. And so I did a whole host of jobs while we were in Dallas, just trying to make ends meet. We were young. I was doing design work. I ended up selling like skincare and kind of building a direct sales team with a makeup company. So I have done a whole host of things. Anything I could possibly do to just make two or $300 for the week, I would do it. Okay. So you're doing all of these things that are leading to small jobs. How do we get to May Designs? So I, again, I'm a graphic designer by nature. And so when I was trying to build my design business in Dallas, I, you know, I I love pen and paper and love to write things down and feel really confined by lines and notebooks. And so I was always looking for the perfect notebook at Target or Michaels or Barnes and Noble or wherever you can find them and found the moleskin kind of notebook, which I loved because they had blank pages or they had that kind of dot grid, but they weren't really fun. They only had black ones or craft paper at the time. And so I started printing out stickers with my design logo on them. And then I started making my own patterns and kind of like folding them over and stapling them with those long staplers from, you know, staples, if you can you buy from Office Max or whatever. And then I was round cornering them kind of like scrapbook style and ended up taking a couple of these patterned notebooks that I had made for myself that had my logo on them to some of my design clients just to take my own notes. And they said, oh my goodness, as soon as you wrap up my design for my logo and company, I want to get like 10 or a hundred of these for the rest of our team because we love branded notebooks and everyone we know uses them. And so I thought, okay, this might be an interesting business idea. I was just, I was sitting down one night and instead of watching a movie with my husband, I said, no, I, I need to actually work on some pricing. Some of these people want to buy these notebooks I've been making. And he said, what do you mean? People want to buy the like scrapbook things that you've been making? And I said, yeah, they do. And he said, this might be your best idea yet. You should stay up and figure this out. And so I did. I basically, my my name is Micah May. So I, I don't know, May Books is what made sense to me. So I bought the domain. I whipped up a logo and literally overnight kind of branded my notebook idea. And I thought if I can get 10 women that I know. I was on the board of the National Association of Women Business Owners at the time. I was the director of marketing. And so I was I had a lot of incredible contacts in Dallas. And I thought if I could call 10 of these women, tell them about my new idea and see if they would buy a hundred branded books with their logo on them, maybe I'm on to something. And so that next day I called everyone up and said, Hey, I've got this idea. I need 10 minutes of your time this week. They all said yes. And so I kind of just moved forward. I started I mean, I changed the product a million times and tried to get it perfect. I went to paper school. And so over the process of about six months, I I kind of tweaked and perfected the product and got it to a place where I loved. And then, and those were all custom. You know, I was just working with women who needed 10 to 20 to 100 to 1,000 books. You weren't making them yourself though. I was making them myself. Yeah. I had found a printer eventually, so I wasn't printing them on my home printer anymore. So I found like a local Minuteman press that was printing them for me. Yeah, I was designing all the covers and then I'd make a PDF and go to the printer. And then I found this crazy stitching solution, which was really fun. So I was just needing, I was sewing them by myself with a sewing machine because I really wanted sewn binding, you know, so your pages don't fall out, like staples, just the covers end up falling off. So stitching was really important to me. So I found a woman who had a bunch of industrial sewing machines and would drop them off at her house and she would stitch them for me. And then I'd go take them back to the printer and 
fold them and trim them and round corner them and then package them all and deliver them to the client. Yeah, I was doing thousands at a time, parading manually. So one of the things I love about what you just shared is that you didn't go out there and say, I have an idea. Now I need to make a logo. Now I need to spend a bunch of money on a website. Now I need to go do 17 things before you try to sell it. You went to people right away to see if they would buy the product before you started the business. That's really smart. Absolutely. And then I, I didn't get the product completely perfect. You know, all of those 10 women basically got kind of a, a new and perfected version every time. Like I kept tweaking and making it perfect. I was changing the paper, changing the stitching, changing the length of the stitching. You know, sometimes I wanted it tighter and sometimes I wanted it looser. And yeah, I think I just kept tweaking the product because I wanted to make it perfect. I think if you launch with a perfect thing, you don't even know. You don't know. You haven't tested the market. So I think testing your market is a huge piece of, I mean, of significance. And it was for me. You just, you got to move forward, launch before it's perfect. Yeah, the beta test and you continue to evolve it as you went. Absolutely. Yeah. I I didn't have a website, a business card. I didn't have anything. Just had the idea and some passion, a lot of hustle. And you also were showing them what they were going to get. So that's not like that they were looking at this beta product and it was subpar and that they weren't willing to commit to that product. They were, but you were able to continue to evolve it from there. Yes, absolutely. So then how does it get to be, can I say how much money you make or how big the business is now? Not you personally, but the business. We're a several million dollar a year company. Yeah. So how do we get to there from you're sewing these with a woman in Dallas? I decided that, you know, a couple of my friends said, hey, we want to buy these books too. We love your vision, but we don't have companies that have a logo on them. And so I thought, okay, I guess I need to make this a, you know, I need to make this a retail website. So built a website, packed my bags, headed to the stationery show, had a booth and thought, okay, I need a national PR campaign. You know, I need to be in stores, not just my local Dallas. I had bigger visions for the brand rather than just like a couple stores in Dallas and a couple of businesses. So I thought the only way to do that is, you know, kind of a, a PR campaign and hopefully heading to the national stationery show. I was just wide eyed and showed up. I had the ugliest booth of all time. I did not know what I was doing. I literally just packed my bags and showed up and ended up getting picked up by a few stores and then reached out to an incredible contact I had had that does these steals and deals on Good Morning America. And her name is Tori Johnson. I love her so much. She has a huge heart for women entrepreneurs and startup businesses. And we met one day and she I said, hey, I have these books. I think we'd be a great fit for the segment. I'll overnight them to your office so you don't have to mess with these on the plane. I just wanted you to put a face with the name and you know, here's me, here's my vision. And she, she literally just looked at them and she said, are, can these be customized? And I said, yes. She said, are you on a dedicated server? And I said, yes. And I did. I had no idea what that meant. I had to Google it later. You just said yes, even though you didn't know what it meant. I just said yes to everything she said. And she said, can you produce thousands of these? And I said, yes. I just, I literally said yes to every single thing that she said. And she goes, and she just looked at me and she goes, girl, you better get your together because you're going on air in two weeks and it's going to change your life and your business. I was like, okay. So I, I left, I overnighted all the samples to her. And sure enough, two weeks later, we had an on-air segment and she had told me, Hey, prepare for like thousands. You need to have inventory and be ready. And I said, I am. And I was, I had a call center set up. We were ready for volume, but what I wasn't expecting with little old me in my office at 6am with two little kids running around my house was he had 33,000 orders. And at the time I was, I had layers set up 
an illustrator with all the different patterns and monogram styles. <laughs> so I, I had gotten it down to like, okay, I think I can do, you know, 15 orders in 50 minutes, right? Where I could like open it up, save the PDF, change the monogram with the order number and then save it out at a high res PDF and then open up a new one. And, you know, I got it down to this like timed system, but 33,000, there's no way I would have. And this is December 1st. So there are all of these people and orders, 33,000 orders who are looking for teacher gifts. They bought 10 for everyone in their family for Christmas gifts. So I had two weeks to deliver all of these thousands of books and there just was not, I mean, I, I was, I was just trying to figure out how in the world am I going to get these out the door? I, I did not know what to do. I panicked because even if I hired an agency, it would have taken weeks to figure this out. So what did you do? So a part of the grand vision at the time was to create a website that would automate everything. They generate beautiful high-res images for the customer to see and then kick them over to a printer automatically. So I thought, okay, if I can find like a crazy, brilliant web genius who can build this fancy $100,000 website that I need in two days, just the back end, and we can kick all the orders over and it would automate them. I can worry about the front end later, but if we can just get the nuts and bolts of the system working and build a database and get all these SVGs converting to PDFs, all these crazy acronyms that I barely even know now, you know, I thought we would be onto something. And so I did, we, we found this incredibly smart businessman that ended up being able to like build this system overnight. He gave up like a week of his life, dedicated it to me and to this crazy dream and made it all happen. And he's actually now my business partner today. He was in Austin. I had never even met him at the time. We worked over Skype in the middle of the night, just trying to working around the clock to get these orders out. So let's talk about how your son Jackson factored into this whole journey and how his life and in your experience has been influenced from everything as far as being a mother as well. Yeah, I have three kids. It's been a crazy journey being a, having a business and having three small kids. And my oldest son, Jackson, who's now seven, was born with Down syndrome. And it came as a complete surprise to me and my husband in the hospital. We literally went in. You know, it was we were one of the first among our friends to have a baby. We went into the hospital, and you know, it was a complicated delivery, and I was exhausted, and probably like I think I'd been up for forty straight hours or forty-eight. I don't know. I don't even know. Seventy-two hours. Who knows? Three days of labor and complications, and we thought everything was fine. And a doctor came in and basically stood at the door and just said, "Hey, I'm the on-call pediatrician, and." We ran some tests and we were just looking over Jackson and just want to let you know there's a 50-50 chance that he has Down syndrome. We said, sorry, what? And she had her purse on her shoulder and was standing at the door like she was late for dinner. And I had, you know, I was exhausted. So many people come in and out of the room when you uh, have a baby. You're just kind of like, okay, next person, who are you? What do you need? You're just trying to just connect with your baby and, you know, sleep a little bit. And so I said, I'm sorry, what did you say? And could you possibly like come into the room a little bit closer? And what, what are you saying right now? Because we had no idea. No one had mentioned anything to us. And we'd been holding him and had him in our arms for 10 hours. And so she kind of explained some of the signs that she but kind of alarmed her and said, hey, we think that these are signs of Down syndrome and we're not sure. We're going to need to do some blood tests, but we'll know a little bit more in a couple of days. A couple of days? A couple of days. We were like, 
what in the world? And this is like just the beginning of, you know, there was no Instagram at the time. It was, we were like, had like a, a whole, you know, family tree line of all the things we were going to tweet about and put on Facebook and share. And we had, we were just, we did not know what to do. We didn't know, do you post that we have a baby with Down syndrome? Do we post that he may have Down syndrome? We were just, and just the fact of like, what do we share with our friends? What do we do? We had no idea kind of handle it. I think that was a really interesting path. That season of those hospital days, those couple of days where we were wondering what in the world was the truth were so hard, so trying. I remember calling my friends and just weeping on the phone and saying, I don't know what this really means for me and my family and my future. And so we went home. We literally took him home from the hospital and we still did not know the news and got some tests run and I mean, I'll never forget the moment of exactly where I was and had him in my arms and sat down and the doctor called and we had switched doctors, by the way. We did not want that same doctor. <laughs> and so, yeah, I remember the doctor called and just said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, Jackson does have trisomy 21 and there's some other information that has kind of made this a little more interesting and that his case is something called a Robertsonian translocation. So there's a certain percentage of people that have an extra chromosome that is like caused by extra genetic material in your body. And sometimes that means that all future children, all any other babies would have Down syndrome as well. And so not only did he say Jackson has Down syndrome, but probably it's like 100% likely that all of your kids in the future will have Down syndrome as well. And I think that piece was so hard. It was so hard. I will never forget my, so sorry, choking up. Just I'll never forget that moment of hanging up the phone and me and my husband just crying and weeping and asking what it meant for our family. And seeing my husband in pain was so hard. I think as a woman, I had carried Jackson in my body and just felt an immediate connection to him. And I think that those bonds take time for (laughs) sometimes a man. I don't know. I think we've spoken to a lot of our friends and, you know, those bonds come later when you start to build the connection of like, oh, this, my little baby smiled at me and there's an engagement. And I think that I felt that I was nursing him and I, I felt connected to Jackson right away. And so I felt less pain, I think, in that moment because I still loved him and he was mine and he was his baby and he he needed me for everything. He needed me to provide and to help him go to sleep and help him gain food. And so I think I felt so responsible as his mother, the person, his caretaker, that I was like, okay, Down syndrome, great. Let's figure out what this is going to mean. And I think it it was so much harder for my husband because he wasn't feeling that immediate connection. You know, he didn't feel responsible for feeding him. And there's a huge piece of just like keeping a human alive that I think somehow must have negated some of my emotions at the beginning. And so he's has been in our life and has been the most amazing, joyous attribute that we could have ever dreamed of. We adore everything about him. We love him. And after several months of testing, it turns out we are like a very rare, less than 1% of people from this kind of Robertsonian translocation that 
didn't have genetic material in either of our bodies. And so I have two other kids that were born without Down syndrome. So it's kind of a a crazy wild story of our family and just kind of makes up who we are. And how did that influence this journey? Because I know Jackson influenced in part how May Designs itself even got started. So we just kind of looked at those two things separately, but really they were going in tandem in your journey. Yeah, that's a great point. So Jackson was born when I was in Dallas and had kind of my graphic design business and this idea for May Books had just begun. I actually had the idea when I was eight months pregnant. And so I was like hustling, had him, kind of was dealing with grief and just doctor's appointments and trying to figure this out while I was hustling, (laughs) trying to get these notebooks off the ground and building a website and launching a national PR campaign. And so I think from that moment, you know, I always had wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and went the kind of graphic design path because I knew I could take on projects as I wanted them. And when my kids were, you know, when I was little or wanted to spend more time with them, I could take on less projects. And maybe once they got older and in school, I could take on more and have this flexible schedule. And I think as I continue to expand that and then grow the Maybooks business, I've been able to set my schedule so that, especially with Jackson, I had more time, especially in those early years. We were constantly going to doctors' visits and specialty doctors. And then, you know, we had a ton of therapy in those early years, learning how to walk, learning how to sit up, learning how to eat. And I was able to be completely flexible with my schedule. And to this day, still, we're trying to give myself room to be able to come home or take him to therapy. Those are moments I don't want to miss. They're so crucial to his development. And so, I think building the company and then trying to work through what that means for me and setting a good rapport for our team and leading a company with excellence while saying, you know what, hey guys, I have to run. I've got this other appointment and take Jackson to speech therapy or show up for an event at a school. It's been really hard, honestly. There's so much guilt that I think I feel as a woman, as a wife, wanting to be all the things to all the people. And that's been a really challenging piece of building a company, having Jackson and just small kids in general. You know, I've got three under six, essentially, and they all need love and care. And so trying to fight that battle has been probably one of the greater challenges I've dealt with as the company has grown into what it is today. I want to go into that more about the guilt and expectations you have as the business owner and the mom. Where's the guilt coming from on a daily basis? Gosh, I think we just as a woman, as a, again, as a wife and a mom, business leader, I'm, I've got huge people pleasing problems. I really want, and I'm working on them. I'm trying. And I, I listen, I listen to you and uh, so many people that you interview and it helps me through a lot of this. I think there's a lot of guilt coming from expectations that I've either put on myself or I feel like the world has put out there, right? You, you know, the modern day woman is, you know, whatever, gorgeous and has a perfect fashion and is just, shows up and looks stunning and also has a baby on her hip and two perfect kids that are dressed and have perfect school projects. And is she's running these giant companies like that is not, (laughs) those are completely unrealistic expectations that I think a lot of us in the Instagram Pinterest world believe. And so I think that I have high expectations for myself and I don't want to let myself down or my family, but I, I really have such a hard time feeling like anyone is thinking less about me, whether I feel, oh, if I'm going to leave the office for an appointment with my family, it feels maybe our team's going to think that I don't love, you know, don't love the business or that 
I've arrived and somehow I'm going to be able to get extra special treatment because I'm the CEO, which is not the case. I think everyone in the company has the same exact expectations and ability to have a flexible schedule. And that's one thing we've tried to really focus in on at May Designs is, hey, if you've got kids and you want to go watch our ballet class at four o'clock, you should leave. You should absolutely go do that. And it's really hard, even though I believe that to my core, to actually execute it. Because at the same time, you think that it's giving yourself special privileges. Absolutely. And in fact, here's a great example. Just recently, we have something on Wednesdays called Cocktails and Questions. And it's every week from four to five, we make a fun cocktail and sit around with our team. And just it's just kind of like a place where we can say, hey, does anyone have any questions? Has anyone seen, you know, we were dip dying in our office. Is anyone wondering why we're doing that? You know, there's a lot going on at any time. Or it could be larger questions like, hey, what new products are you thinking we might launch for this year? Or anyone can ask anything. And that's been on Wednesdays for a year and a half. My daughter, I'm really committed to go see her at ballet and pick her up. And that was used to be on Thursdays and it moved to Wednesdays this semester. And I was so torn for two and a half months since the beginning of January to wrestle with moving cocktails and questions so that I could go and and sustain and be able to be there and see her sweet little dancing and pick her up and have her meet my eyes and know that I showed up and pick her up and all those conversations that we get to have in the car. And I usually carpool and take another little girl home. And I love that window of time where the girls are in the back and they're talking about their day. That's my window to to seeing what her world is becoming as she's getting older. She's in kindergarten this year. But it literally, I mean, I was staying up at night thinking, what are people going to think if I move cocktails and questions to Thursdays just for me, just so that I can go pick up my daughter from ballet at 4.30? Isn't that ridiculous? Did you think about asking your team what they thought of it? I did. I said, hey, does anyone mind if we move it to Thursdays? And I think it's just, I want everyone to feel great. I want everyone to feel like they love their job and they love where they're working. And that again, it just, it felt ridiculous to move something for me in my schedule. But wait, what did they say? They were like, of course. Yes. So everyone felt great at their job. Yes. Yes. And all it took was the question. Absolutely. But how long did you stress before you asked the question? Like too much. It's crazy. We are so willing to put ourselves through the ringer mentally without actually testing and validating whether that limiting belief is true. Yes, absolutely. And I think part of me, I'm a fast talker. I move quick. And I think that we were talking about this yesterday in the office too. I think sometimes I just speak and people feel like it's complaining because I'm aggressive and I kind of have this like firm, whatever. And my, my nat- like some people like look like they're smiling all the time. And that's just their natural resting place is this smile. And they just look so friendly. And I think I must have this like resting frown, horrible face that looks like I'm happy. Do you know what that's called? There's a term for that. We won't say it here because we have kids listening too, but I don't know. I'm guessing people know what the other resting face might be. Is that what you're saying you have? I must. I don't know. So I think that because I I don't know, I'm, I always know what I want. I'm very decisive. And there's a lot of those skills that I think probably have gotten me where I am today. But there are some of the least favorite things about myself. I cut to the chase really quickly. And so I think I feel like as a woman and CEO, there's these other words that could be associated with someone who's decisive and knows what they want. And they're, they have negative connotations. And we'll not say the word out loud. But I think that I have this fear of being that. If I say what I want, and I know what I want, and I'm just going to say it, that means that I'm this type of person over on this other side. 
I think this is fascinating. I've been thinking about masculine and feminine energy ever since I was interviewed for Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income podcast. It's going to come out at the end of March. It'll be interesting to see how these two interviews align up. But what I've realized is that in the business world and in society in general, we see men and women as equally capable. But especially in the business world, especially there, we are equally capable of demonstrating masculine energy. And women can be equally capable as men if they do execute in masculine, energetic ways. This is kind of a generalization, of course, but I think there is a huge misunderstanding and missing of the feminine energy and what that even really means. It doesn't mean lovey-dovey per se, but there's other energies within ourselves. And every man and woman has both energies. So if we don't like the terms masculine, feminine, yin, yang, swap out the words for whatever else you want. The point is not the words feminine and masculine, but the energies that they represent. And I think what you're really struggling with is you have this strong masculine energetic side that as a female you feel in society is also kind of not always aligning with how you're supposed to behave. But also there's probably some more feminine side of you that you don't tap into as much as you'd like or you feel even some guilt around when you do because of the expectations of masculine energy in business. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. I think that having a, a male business partner has helped with that so much because all the relationship dynamics and things where I, you know, late at night, we'll chat on the phone. It's like, oh, we're dealing with this or with that. And he's like, why why are we still talking about this? No, you know what you need to do? Just go do it. And I'm like, okay, I got to give myself a pep talk to do it. Because even though I know what I need to do, I need permission to move forward. I'm working on that because again, I'm, yeah, it's a, it's a weird balance for me. And I'm not quite sure. I'm still in the process of figuring that out. You swing both ways, right? You swing like, oh, I'm too masculine here. Like they're going to think I'm the word we're not talking about. And then on the other hand, you're like with the guy, you need his permission to get on and do it, right? Well, it's the fear. It's the fear of being that type of person, the like mean boss lady, because I know what I want to do. And I'm more naturally wired that way. I'm more naturally just like, no, let's change, let's change the email. It's not great. Let's not, it can be delayed. Let's get it right the first time. That's my most natural thing to say. I think that's wonderful. That doesn't sound negative or mean or decisive. So I think it's about the energy that goes into how we handle things. And really, the energy comes from our thoughts about how we're handling it, right? Like you could do that in a really graceful way that's not really confrontational. You don't have to be confrontational to still do and execute in the ways that you want What I find for this whole thing in terms of masculine and feminine is the interview that I was sharing with Pat, I was like, this is so different than any other interview he's ever had on his show, except for maybe one other he mentions that Dane Maxwell talked about. So I've listened to so many hours of these men that I really admire, especially there's women on his show too, but very less frequently. And also those women often are sharing content that is masculine energy, how to do business. It's all very tactical. And what I've realized in my own career in business is I was raised in a business school that was very very masculine and how to do business. We're taught how to do that's masculine is the energy out there, the action, the, the implementation. But what I've realized is that energy. And I know I learned this very early on because I was so miserable executing without any real meaning behind it. There's so many people that are very quote unquote successful in the masculine. They know how to do business or career, 
but they're miserable. You can all, I think everyone here listening can think of someone they know in their lives that has got a lot of the shiny pennies in their lives, but are miserable in terms of joy and fulfillment. So just having the how to do it, the masculine energy of it, I believe is short-sighted. It's like having a tool or a gun or something without any reason to fire it or place to be aiming. And what we'll end up doing is aiming at shiny pennies because we don't have that intuitive why. And so what I found in my own journey, and this is what I was sharing with Pat, not realizing any of this was at play was that, and you hear this on my show all the time, this is a huge cornerstone of life with intention online, is that the intuition, if we don't listen there, if we don't make space to hear from that space, within ourselves, it's not from the ego, then we're really wasting our time just filling our lives with actions without any real foundation of joy or fulfillment. And that other energy, I believe the intuition comes from that feminine side of the energy. Yes, I love that. Yes. So if we know why we're doing it, then the how is important. And that beautiful thing for men listening, you have both of these energies too. It's not like women only have one and men only have the other. We have society has bred us to exclusively focus on one or the other, perhaps in some ways. But even now with women and women's rights and everything, I think we could say that women are equally capable, but we're only respected if we're doing it in a masculine way, the masculine energy. And I think men are missing out on a huge opportunity to tap into this intuition. And I think females as well are not even nearly able to tap into it as much as they could if they were shown that it's possible and how. And I've now realized like my new going forward banner message and everything is to help men and women recognize both and embrace both so that they have the why and then they follow it up with the how. Yeah, I love that because I think that in times for me, I've almost had to apologize for being feminine or girly, especially when I'm trying to hire for a position. If I'm interviewing a man, I feel like I need to explicitly say, hey, our office is bright white and a lot of pink and aqua and are you going to be okay with that? And no, no one says that to a girl at a, in a startup. Yeah, it's going to be really broy and it's going to be black and white and it's absolutely, right? And so I think I have to I feel this like need to apologize for and again, me designs is there's a lot of it that reflects me, right? Mike and May and your products are feminine. They are. We predominantly target market sell to women. And so I think as and we now have I think two or three more men than we do on our team which has been so interesting to continue to keep the brand intact. And, you know, one of the guys that runs all of our social media is a guy and I love him, adore him. And he completely gets our voice, but it felt like I had to say, okay, just feel free to use a lot of emojis and throw in a couple of yays with exclamation marks in there. Cause that's our brand, you know, and I'm emailing our web developers going, Hey, can the subject line say, yippee, your order has shipped, you know? And so I think that there, it feels subpar. It feels less than a little bit when there's a feminine touch sometimes. And I don't know what that is. I think it's because we're new at this. Tara Moore came on the show. Did you listen to that episode? No. Okay. It's about playing big. So you can go back and listen. It was in January. And she, in her book, Playing Big, talked about how, and I at first rejected this idea from my own experience. So here's what she says. She says that women, if you look at the grand context of history, (laughs) have more capabilities, freedoms, liberties to get divorced if they want, to have money, to hold property, all these things. Then, and it's very recent. 
like the last 100, 200 years, the amount of change even in the last 60 years is staggering. And we, I don't think, are giving ourselves enough credit to recognize we're in a totally new landscape. When I heard, when I when she said that in the book, I was like, all right, but I'm 31. I grew up with my dad telling me I could be president, even though I'd never seen a female president. I was told I could be one. I never was told I had limitations. I was told I was incredibly capable, especially in all the masculine ways, right? I was incredibly capable of being smart and in, like all in the actions and all those types of things. But now I'm realizing more and more as I'm really looking at this, like why did I feel like my episode with Pat was not as meaningful because I talked about intuition and understanding it because it didn't have as much tactical email conversions. And the same for you. Why should you feel like the fact that you have emotion as a big part of your brand message and verbiage, why should we feel bad about that? It's only because our society thus far has been so masculinized that we have only been able to so far, quote unquote, be respected if we're using masculine and and this is broad strokes here, but maybe it's because females have been able to succeed through a masculine energy. Like we can all embrace that. We've learned, females have learned to embrace in many cases their masculine energy, but our whole society is kind of like a little bit hazy on the feminine. Yep. And again, it's, it's got potential negative connotations. You know, I was talking about Jackson and I think that's ridiculous. The fact that it has potential negative, why should that be negative? Why do we not see masculine as negative? I do think it's changing. I really do. I think there are so many incredible women leading the charge in entrepreneurship. Yeah, but are they doing it in a masculine way? Like I think about Hillary Clinton. She's not known for, she's got a very like kind of masculine energy about herself. Not that she's masculine or manly, right? That's not about that. Margaret Thatcher. There's a lot of like authoritarian women you take seriously, right? Or they're like pushed into like Elisa Vitti's pleasure episode where we talked about when you're a puberty over the last several decades, you've kind of had the choice. Are you going to go get attention in the world from your body and being feminine, like female, or are you going to go get attention from your brain? Not that that's the only way, obviously. It's just the limited constructs our society has been dealing with in broad strokes. Yeah, I think absolutely. We're just figuring this out. I think this is like a really exciting time. And there's people like you and me and everyone listening to this, men and women, recognizing, wow, where we've come from. Maybe there's a way to evolve this even further. And it goes the other way too, right? So at this time, you know, my husband, his dreams were building a counseling practice And we've kind of decided that right now we think it's important while our kids are little for one of us to still be around when the kids get home from school. And so we've decided together that that means he's going to be able to, you know, probably take a little bit less clients in these years while they're in kindergarten and getting on their feet and establishing their little personalities. And so he's the one that picks them up from school. And that does feel different for us. And it seems like by this day and age, it wouldn't feel different, but it does right now. He's the person that gets the call if there's an emergency. He's nurturing. He is so nurturing and lovely. And I think that we have a lot of conversation. Does he feel weird about that as a masculine? He struggles with it a tiny bit, but not, you know, that's what I love about him. He's so unbelievable. He is 100% my better half. But I think that there are other, there's times where it feels like, I'm sure he's going, I wonder what other people are thinking about our life, the way we've just decided to operate, because it doesn't feel like the standard. Here's what I submit for everyone. 
is that we have both, right? Even looking at transgender, I love that this this conversation on sexuality as a whole is kind of getting reimagined in many ways. Like it's all in us. The energies are just energies. We can put feminine and masculine, those terms, we can throw them out. I don't care. We don't have to use them. Yin, yang, whatever. Why, how, I don't care what we call them. But the beautiful thing about them is we all have them within us. And the cool thing is if we can have ownership, if we can explore and have ownership over both energies within ourselves, so you and your husband having both energies within yourself, when we have it, I said this to my friend the other day, it's like being before when we are only operating in one. Maybe we'll say for you, you're really comfortable with the masculine energy. So it's like dribbling on a basketball court. I was a basketball player with just your right hand right? So you can only dribble with your right hand. So you're always trying to, to play the game with your right hand dribbling. But it's easy to get the ball stolen from you. You can only lay, do a layup on one side of the court. Like there's so much limitation to that. But if we can have access to dribbling with the left side of our hand, we can cross over. We can do layups on either side. We can play the game in every move, in every situation of our lives in an appropriate way with the appropriate energy for that appropriate situation. So when you're at work, you can choose ambidextrously throughout the day to say, when am I going to exercise this energy? And when am I going to exercise that? When you're at home, it doesn't have to be that you're just doing the same hand, the same masculine side that like, what if we were ambidextrous? What if we can dribble with both? The problem is we're not taught that we have both to exercise both and to get great at switching between them with the crossover. Oh, I love that. I love it. I feel so encouraged to go walk in my manly side now. Don't you feel like you can then be a woman business owner that is a woman and a business owner that is delegating and also confident, that is intuitive, that has space for creativity to emerge, that can be emotive, but can also look at the bottom line because you're crossing over back and forth. Like how much more fun is that? And even in your family that he can be, you know, dribbling with this hand on the nurturing side for this season, but also can do like with your finances and your, I don't know, you can crossover. Like we all have this and that our relationships don't have to be you're the feminine one at home and the masculine one at work. Like we have both hands, guys. Let's learn how to dribble with both of them. Yes. Yes. That's great. And there's a ton to learn from both sides. One thing my mom always talks about is your sphere of influence. And I think this has kind of helped me with kind of this guilt of where is my role? Where am I supposed to spend my time as um, an entrepreneur and leader of the company and then a mom and trying to just wrestle with even friendships, right? What, what, it's, it's a relationship thing where your sphere of influence, right? So picture kind of these like a Venn diagram or circles where you have people who you want to be in your sphere of influence. Maybe they're in, especially again, with this like Instagram, Pinterest world where we're wide eyed and like, Oh, if only I could do a collaboration with so-and-so then X would happen. Or only if I could get so-and-so to know about me, this would happen, right? You are dying for them to be in your sphere of influence. Then there's people who are 100% you're in both. I'm in theirs and they're in mine. They're friendships. These are those relationships that come easy. They're the people you call on the phone that just give you the wisdom, whether it's business advice, parenting advice, marriage advice. They're the people that you may or may not know intimately, but they somehow it, the relationship just works. It sings. And then there's the people that you possibly might not have expected or have tried to get in your sphere of influence, if this makes sense, but you are in theirs, 
And so you're, everything that you say, all the things that you do, you're being watched closely or your relationship advice or your wisdom that you can bring goes so far in their life. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I think that a huge part of being a woman and kind of tapping into this intuition is knowing who it is, right? When I've got to schedule a lunch or I've got a busy week, that's the first thing I ask myself is, where is this person in the sphere of influence in my life? Is it a lunch that's just going to be like, eh, maybe it'll be a waste of both of our time, right? When time is my most precious commodity. And then there's other people, it's like, I will cancel everything because this person is in town and it's going to be worth meeting. And I know there's going to be so much fruit that comes from the conversations that we're going to have or a phone call. You know, there's a lot of phone calls you have to just miss or whatever. And, you know, I've just learned about Voxer and being able to like send a long voicemail to my friends now. And I think that that those little things are huge, knowing how to allocate your time. And I think that men somehow are better at compartmentalizing and somehow transitioning, kind of picking back up on this energy and then the guilt kind of merging it all together for me has been knowing kind of what time it is and where the influence is of the person that I might be meeting with or trying to engage with is in my sphere. I'm so glad we had this conversation today. Absolutely. I gained so much from it. Do you feel better at all? I'm curious because of what we shared, I wonder if some of that, when you were talking about feeling this guilt and expectation, do you see it differently at all right now? Or are you still kind of wanting to sit in it for a while? Well, so no, I do feel better. And I think that I heard someone talk about the liturgies of your heart. And it's a fascinating concept, but talks about kind of the things that you believe at your core are reinforced by the little things that you do every day that are habits. So talking about nurturing the liturgies that you have, right? Your daily things. It's like practice makes perfect. It's kind of the, okay, when I crawl in bed, I get on Instagram and I, you know, kind of like catch up on my feed and reach out to some people or like them and, you know, to comment on my friends or whatever. Like that's a liturgy that is somehow kind of reinforcing what I believe to be true or what I believe in my heart. And so I think what I've gained from our conversation is the liturgy of the act of walking with confidence into a place of delegation or a place of, you know, just saying what I feel. And again, changing my tone of voice and making sure there's a smile on my face so that it's, there's no, there's no negative feelings. It doesn't have to the, the that masculine energy, perhaps there's not negative feelings associated with. It's just behavior. And for me, it's, it's the liturgy of continuing to do them day in and day out and choosing in the little moments that are going to add up to like a longer shift. I feel like this whole conversation has kind of then answered what your internal doubts and resistance have been. So let's end with what would you tell someone who's just starting out on this journey? I'd say go for it. Say yes to opportunity and you're going to find the grace along the way to make it happen. And I think that life is too short to say no. Seizing an opportunity and going for it and to get curious, get curious and ask a million questions because again, tapping back into that energy, I might be sitting in meeting and I am like drowning with not knowing, can't keep up with the conversation or can't keep up with the financial numbers. And I think that it would be a mistake to sit back and pretend like I know what's going on. I'm the first person to raise my hand in a meeting and say, Hey, could you say that again? I'm not quite sure I fully understand or have wrapped my, my mind around the numbers and the that income we gained last year from the shipping costs and how that's going to affect the future, blah, 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 whatever it might be. I'm the first person to just say, you know what? I don't know what's going on. So I think for me, 
you got to ask a lot of questions and just say yes and keep going and figure it out as you go. You know, you got to launch things before they're perfect and continue to move forward because if you can dwell in the present, you can get caught up and be paralyzed. Or if you dwell in the past, there's no fun for the future. Micah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a joy. Love you so much. And there you have it. Thank you guys so much for listening. And Micah, thank you for coming on the show. If you'd like to send Micah a message, you can do so at May Designs on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter at Jess C as in Cadbury Cream Egg Lively. For show notes, hop over to JessLively.com slash Micah May. And before I share who's coming up next week on the show, let's talk with Haley Feinart of HabitationCo.com about her experience with today's sponsor, Squarespace.com. Haley, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Jess, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Haley Feinart, and I have an online home decor and lifestyle boutique called Habitation Co. that features handmade and fair trade, globally inspired goods from around the world. How did you get started with it? Habitation Co. was born out of my own desire to integrate more sustainable and ethically produced products into my own home and wardrobe. And, but I wanted to do so without sacrificing my personal style. And I felt like I was being forced to make a choice between buying something that was sustainably produced and buying something that was more my style and, and beautiful. So I wanted to show that fair trade products can still be fresh and modern and affordable while remaining true to the artists that make them. And I can say... As someone who's watched The True Cost and now is looking to find products along the vein of what you're doing, I'm very grateful to now know about your site and to be able to go to it. And for anyone else that is like me that's watched The True Cost or wants to be more mindful about their purchases, I definitely recommend checking out this site for the beautiful products you guys have there. But let's talk a little bit now about why you chose Squarespace for the site itself. Yeah, so I chose Squarespace essentially because I kept hearing the word on podcasts and in blogs and on websites of other creatives that I followed. So it kept coming up. And so when I looked into it, the first thing that I noticed is that the Squarespace templates are so clean and beautiful. And like many small business owners, I didn't have a lot of money to start my business with. And I was really surprised at how affordable Squarespace options are, especially for a retail and product-based company. Did you get the 10% off code using Lively? I did. (laughs) We'll get to that at the end for those that are listening, but I'm glad to hear that it made it even more affordable by using the code. So what do you love about Squarespace the most? I love that Squarespace has essentially taken all of the best features of high-end custom websites and has really simplified them into a fresh and modern way that's easy to use and user-friendly for my customers. And what would you tell anyone else that's thinking about building a new blogger website? I would tell them to really first think about what their message is and who they want to hear it. Once you have a better idea of who your target client or your customer is, what they value, what they look for, then the other pieces kind of fall together. And for anyone else who's looking to give Squarespace a try and check out Haley's site as well to see what a beautiful Squarespace site can actually look like, you can go over to squarespace.com lively to get your free 14-day trial. 
if and when you want to go forward and actually pay for the service and use it past that 14 days, use the code LIVELY at checkout to get 10% off of your service. Again, that's squarespace.com slash lively and using the code LIVELY at checkout to get 10% off. Haley, where can people find you online? You can find me at habitationco.com. I'm also on Instagram, Pinterest, and now Periscope at habitation underscore co. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. And now for a sneak peek. Next week on the show, we're having Barrett Brooks of fizzle.co on the show. Barrett has become a friend of mine now that I was recently out in Portland for my own Fizzle interview. But before I went to Portland, before I did my interview, I was speaking with Barrett over Skype about the interview preparation and realized that his own story was something that needed to be shared here on the show. Barrett's going to talk openly about how he had a period in the not-so-distant past where he felt like he was not getting what he wanted out of his career, and he felt like he was going to need to make a shift in order to get the type of career and job that he was looking for. But what's interesting about his story is that it didn't go the way he expected or many of us choose to approach a situation when we're not enjoying something going on in our jobs or our careers. And what comes out of this story, what he chose to do based on the inquiry and the actions that he took, I believe will be truly life-changing and career-changing for so many people out there who aren't enjoying their careers right now. I think this episode is one of the most important career episodes we have ever shared, and I cannot wait to bring it to you next week. Until then, may something wonderful happen to you today. 